Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Jude. We invite you to join us at 514 Smithfield Avenue in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion of God's Word. Amen. First and foremost, I want to thank our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For making this all possible for us by going to the cross, shedding His blood for the forgiveness of our sins, and giving us a new life and a new purpose here on planet Earth. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us and doing for us what we could never ever do for ourselves. Amen? I'd like to thank the Smithfield Avenue Congregational Church for letting us do our study in their facility. One body, many pots. many pots. You got that right. I'd like to thank the people that serve in this ministry so faithfully. They keep it going. We all need each other for this to function properly, right? Everybody in here has a gift to serve in the ministry. If you want to find out what that is, just keep on keeping on and pray to God. He'll give it to you. There's plenty of things to do for the Lord. Amen. If you have a cell phone, please silence it. And we'll start off with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us this awesome opportunity again, Lord, to gather together as your family, to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord, and place your name above all names, Lord, as King of kings and Lord of lords. Help us to recognize you in everything in our lives, Lord, knowing that you said you never leave us nor forsake us, and you put this on this journey, Lord, to Mold us and shape us into the image of your Son. Help us, Lord, to see you in everything. Help us, Lord, to leave ourselves, our flesh at the door, Lord, so we can get a crystal clear message by your Spirit, Lord. Let all the distractions of the world be put aside, Lord, in our hearts. And I pray for the people that are sick, Lord, that you touch their hearts and their lives and lead them closer to you, Lord. I pray for our great nation, Lord, and our president, that you put the principles of your word into his heart, Lord, so he can lead the people your way, not the world's way. And let everything we do tonight be led by your spirit, Lord, and not our flesh. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All three of you is coming up. Deb, Brittany, and Jasmine are coming up to get us started. How'd that go? Pretty good? I'm working on it. Takes a while <laughs> to get through this uh, skull of mine. I know. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God he gives us all that time, right? Who am I that the highest Thank you. 
awesome job. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. What does that really mean? It means we're free to be the people that he created us to be and do his will in our lives. We're free to do that, to make the right choices, to do his will and not ours. We're free to do that. He set us free to live right and do his will. Amen. How's everybody doing tonight? It's great to see everybody, as always. Just let me, my hand's a little, sorry guys. (laughs) Yeah, my hands are dirty, I mean. You got a lot of work, it's, you know. My heart is clean. My heart's in the right condition. So, it is what it is. Amen? Thank you for um, accepting me the way I am. And that's one thing about this church. Jesus accepts us the way we are. Come as you are, he says, right? I'm sure everybody back in them days weren't all dressed in three-piece suits when they went to see him. Okay, no, I don't think so. I don't think they knew what that was. But anyway... It's refreshing to be able to come to church on a Wednesday, halfway point, you know, it's just to get refocused and restructured, you know, the world just beats us up. I just want everybody to understand how the sin nature is. We don't fight to get rid of our sin nature. We simply outgrow our sin nature. As you follow the will of God in the Bible, as you come to Bible study and learn his word, as you read the Bible and fellowship, your life starts to change. The principles of your life start to change. Your thinking starts to change. And you don't even have to try. It just starts to happen. The things that you used to really enjoy, you don't really enjoy anymore. You start to enjoy coming to church and reading your Bible. It's a process that we outgrow. We don't fight to get rid of it. We outgrow it as we learn God's word and put it and apply it in our lives. Amen? So we got an awesome scripture up there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But you know, because we're on 1 Corinthians 13. We are going to back up. Because this is a perfect opportunity to go to verse 4. Because we have to understand what love really is. And until we get it right, God's lo- God loves us what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. His love is unconditional. He expects us to love ourselves unconditionally and in turn love others unconditionally. And that's how you can have great relationships. Live and let live and let the Holy Spirit work in their lives to make the changes necessary. Amen? So we're going to go to verse 4 and we're going to read this as a congregation as we always do, okay? Because this is so important. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. And we're going to read it down to verse 7, okay? Does everybody get there? I'm going to hear your beautiful voices tonight. And I want the listeners out there to hear us too, okay? So don't be shy. Are you ready? Okay, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never loses up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Now just think about that. As a Christian, when you tell somebody you love them, this is the kind of love God tells you to love them like. Keep no record of being wrong. Don't get proud. Don't get rude. Doesn't demand its own way. Is accepting. Is not irritable. Right? Keeps no record of being wrong. Doesn't rejoice 
Whenever the truth wins out, it rejoices. It never gives up. Look, are you praying for loved ones? Are you praying for people? Never give up. My mother never gave up on me, and here I am today. Amen? Here I am today because of that. God answers the prayers, His time and His way. Amen? So if, if you want God to just keep on, never give up loving, okay? It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. He builds endurance in us so we can handle whatever He puts our way in our Christian walk, okay? You just have to understand that. If you read that every day, it'll come into your heart and you will become like that. That's a good thing to read every day. 1 Corinthians 13. When you tell somebody you love them as a Christian, that's what God holds you to. That kind of love. And we have to grow into that love. It's not a natural thing for us. We keep record, right, of being wronged. Right? We are very irritable, especially with the people that, you know, are significant others that we're close to. Right? Very impatient, right? So we have to practice this and let it develop in our lives. Amen? When I tell my wife I love her, that's what I'm supposed to be love her like. Just like that. And I'm like, oof, I got a long way to go. <laughs> I'm just being honest. You gotta put, you know, we put conditions on our love. You know, if my wife starts snapping at me, I'd say, well, you know. What do you expect me to do? Give you a big hug and a kiss after you snap at me? Yeah. That's what... We fight evil with good. You see? We don't fight evil with evil. We fight evil with good. That's what God requires of us. If somebody's snapping at you, you give him a hug and tell him you love him. Now, you can't do that in the flesh. You can try that for the rest of your life and we ain't going to be able to do it. And if you do, do do it, it'll be against your will and be grinding your teeth. <laughs> Because God knows your heart. Amen? That, listen, that, isn't that an awesome kind of love, though? Just to be able to accept somebody. Say they're having a bad day and they snap at you. We take it personal thinking that it's directed towards us. But they didn't must have had a hard, they had a hard day. And their sin nature might have got the best of them. So what do you do? You give them grace and mercy and give them a pass. Just like you need when you fall short. Very simple principle. Very hard to do, right? Okay, now let's keep reading. I'm going to read all the way through. It says in verse 8, Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. Even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. See, the revelation in the Bible, it's not the whole picture. See, the rest of it is a faith walk. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless when you mature. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. A lot of us come into the Christian life with a lot of childish behaviors. As you grow, it says when, when we start maturing, we start to put them childish behaviors aside. Resentment, bitterness, anger, jealousy. Fear. All these things are childlike stuff. When we mature, we work right through this. Now look what it says. Now we see things, verse 12, imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. See, when we go home to be with him, everything's going to come clear. Your whole, everything that he did in your life is going to be perfect clarity. You're going to understand everything he did in every circumstance and why he did it. 
Because right now, sometimes you don't understand how God's working, right? I don't understand how that's going to make me grow. I don't understand why God would do that to me, right? It's cloudy. But it says his will is right, and he, he knows better than we do. But we just can't grasp the um, benefit of it. We think it's more of a hurt than it is a help. Because the flesh sees it a different way. Can I get an amen for that? Okay. Now look what it says. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. Apostle Paul. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things that will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is what? Love. So what is the goal of any ministry? Love. The ministry, the um, motivation of the ministry is love from God, love of self, and love of others. That's the whole motive of why we teach, correct, comfort, because we love them. You know, if you have to confront somebody because they might be doing something that's off, you do it because you want them not to get hurt. Not because you just want to attack their sin. You want it for the benefit of them. So you tell them, listen, I love you. I want to tell you this. You're going in the wrong direction. And that's what we're supposed to do. Because love is not only some warm, fuzzy feeling. It's very confrontational sometimes. Because you love somebody, you tell them like it is so they don't fall off the cliff. Sometimes Christians have a hard time doing that because, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Don't worry, God will send an unbeliever to do it then. Because they have no feelings. (laughs) The Bible heightens our conscience. You feel compassion and empathy when somebody's going in the wrong direction. And you want to help them get on the right track. Can I get an amen for that? That should be the motive when you come to church. To love God, love yourself, and love others. Whatever you do for somebody, that is the motive. Okay? All right, let's go to the book of Jude. Let's continue this uh, awesome study. And we may be able to get into the next study that I've been waiting to teach on. Um, so let's go to Jude, and I'm going to explain some of the things we talked about. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read through it, and then I'm going to explain some of the stuff. Okay. Let's go to verse one. We're going to read right through, and then I'm going to explain. Okay. Remember, Jude was telling everybody that he was going to teach about something else, but he had to he had to stop and teach about something else. They were thinking that God's people were telling him that God's grace was a license to do whatever you want and live an immoral life. And that's what teachers were coming in and teaching, and there's teachers that do that today. They overemphasize grace, and then they just sin it up, don't worry about it, there's nothing you can do, heaven's your home. And that's false doctrine. That's not true. God gives us the freedom to live the right way, and the grace to do it. Because we need it. Because we know we're going to fail. Amen? Okay. Look at verse 1. Just hang in there with me now. Stay focused, okay? Then I'm going to explain this, and then we're going to move on. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I am writing to all who have been called by God the Father. So that means he's writing to us. We're all called, right? Who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. May God give you more in more mercy, peace, and love. How many of us need mercy, peace, and love right now? We do, don't we? 
The danger of false teachers. Dear friends, bless you, I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. He was going to teach on salvation. But now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. Imagine how a worm gets in. You really can't see it. This gets its, makes its way in. Wormed its way into your churches. Look what it says. Saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only master in Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. Now, if you don't understand the Old Testament or read it, you wouldn't understand any of what I'm saying. But since you do read it here, you know what I'm talking about. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. In the same way, these people who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, The Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. I want to try to explain this to you. Just hang in there, okay? But these people scoff at things they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them. So they bring about their own destruction. You know when you follow your sin nature? Whatever. If it feels good, do it. That's what he's talking about. They're following your sin nature into your own destruction. Look what it says. What sorrow awaits them? For they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. Genesis, right? Like Balaam, they deceive people for money. And like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. We read all these things in the daily walk, remember? When these people eat with you in your fellowship meals, commemorating the Lord's love, they are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. They are like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They are like trees in autumn that are doubly dead, for they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. They are like wild waves of the sea, churning up the foam of their shameful deeds. They are like wandering stars, doomed forever to blackest darkness. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. 
He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people, these people, I like when he said that, these people. Now, these people are in church, by the way. They're saying these people that worm their way into the church, look what it says. Now, he says they're grumblers and complainers. How do you pick them out? You got people coming in church, they're grumblers and complainers, living only to satisfy their own desires. They come to church to fulfill their needs, greedy, only for themselves. They don't come to help, they come to take. They brag loudly about themselves, I'm really spiritual, and they flatter others to get what they want. There's people in churches that flatter people to get things. Believe me, I'm very protective of that. If somebody comes up to you and starts asking you for stuff, I want you to come to me. Amen? Please. Because there's a lot of people that worm their way in. There's a lot of takers. And Christians have a lot of love, and they become very gullible, and it's not, and you have to be very careful. Amen? You don't want to give anything to Satan, do you? Okay, well, he's in the church. Trust me. He's in here. And then he's showing us how you can pick them off. They're grumblers and complainers. They're proud and boastful. Now look what it says. They brag loudly about themselves and flatter others to get what they want. The duty to fight for God's truth. A call to remain faithful. But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. These people who come in church and cause divisions. They follow their natural instincts because they... Why do they follow that? Look, when you follow your natural instincts, it's because they do not have God's Spirit in them. Okay? That's why. Because when you have God's Spirit in you... When you follow your natural instincts, you start to get convicted. And it starts not to sit right with you because the Holy Spirit convicts you. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't get convicted and you do it right in church and you don't even care. And there's people that come to church and do that. Don't worry. You're saved. You're going to heaven. You can live whatever way you want. It does not matter. Oh, it does matter. It does matter. God saved you for a reason, to be conformed into the image of His Son. And he put His Spirit in you, and that's what, he, that's what He called you to do. And you have to make that choice every day to do His will and grow. Now look what it says. But dear, you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. You see it? Look, we always should be praying. Always. When you're in church, when you're out of church, prayer is powerful. We communicate with God through prayer. Prayer is not some, you don't have to go and, just talking to God is praying. Just recognizing that God's with you is praying. It doesn't take, you don't have to go anywhere silent. You could pray. I pray all the time. I pray in the mixing room. I pray in the spray booth. I thank the Lord for a nice paint job. I'm always thanking him. Because it's the one, he, he's the one who gives me the ability to do it. 
He's the one that gives you the ability to make money, to be healthy. He gives you the ability, and he wants the glory. When you get prideful, you say, I'm the one who made all this. This is mine. This is my work. That's not of God. That's of the flesh. When you understand that God's the one who did it, read Deuteronomy 8. If you have any doubts, Deuteronomy tells you, I'm the one who gives you the ability to do all these things. If you ever forget that, you will certainly be destroyed. All he asks that you acknowledge that he's the one who gifted you to do it. <laughs> the roadrunner's watching. <laughs> we can fight through distractions, yeah? We should be expected. When the truth is going out, the devil's going to try to distract us. It's up to us to stay focused, right? Amen? Stay focused. Now you're going to learn something tonight. Now look what it says. In a week, verse 21. Stay with me now. And await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. <clears throat> you know when people come in church and they start to get their faith to start getting shaky? The Bible tells us to show mercy to them, not beat them up. Listen now. The principles of the Bible for us to learn, and right now the Spirit is talking to you to learn these principles and apply them. Can I get an amen? We're in school right now. This is a study of the Bible, and it's teaching us how to live. Amen? That's why we're here. <clears throat> God's way. Now look what it says. Rescue those others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy still to others, but do so with great caution. Hating the sins that contaminate their lives. You know it as well as I do. When somebody gets contaminated by sin, it takes them away from God. We don't hate them. We hate the sin that's contaminating them. See, sin separates us from God. It tells us to hate the sin, not the sinner. When we do the Christian life in the flesh, <clears throat> we become hateful to people. And the sin nature is getting the best of them. And you start to become a hater and you start to criticize them and say things about them when it's really the sin that you should be hating, not the sinner. You should be loving the sinner. That's how you know you need to grow. When you start hating people, then you know you're not with God. You're not, you don't know God. Hating people is not from God. It's from the devil. The devil wants you to hate the people. God wants you to love them and hate the sin. Because it's a sin that's contaminated. When you go off and you fall, it's your sins that, that make you fall. Do you want them to hate you or you want them to hate the sin? You don't want to get hated, so don't hate anybody else. Do one to others or you have them do one to you. All of us have a sin nature and all of us fall sometimes. There's only one judge and he's in heaven. What we do is show mercy. We don't... We don't shut him off like a Pharisee would. Look at that sinner. I ain't going near him. He's evil. You're just talking about yourself. You're judging yourself, the Bible says. We're all born with the same nature. How about an amen for that? And you know, how many of us get aggravated with people and get mad at them? Or do you hate the sin? No, you don't get mad at You get mad at the sinner, not the sin. Because the devil gets his way in. Look, if you're not rooted and grounded in God's word, learning his word, reading it every day, 
Satan is going to get in and sin is going to get in and you are going to sin and it's going to show up on the outside and it's going to irritate people. The only the armor of God is what we're doing tonight. We're studying the word of God. We read the word of God, right? When we're not here. We follow through the Bible. We read the daily walk. We stay structured and disciplined so we don't fall prey to the devil. Amen? That's why we're here. We're learning about his schemes. Now look what it says. A prayer of praise. Now all glory to God. All glory to God. You see it? Who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. There it is. There's the promise that heaven is your home. You see it? He is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. He doesn't see anything that we're doing anymore. He sees Jesus from now on. That's what he's talking about. But he says, he will, eat, will keep you from, how do you stay, how does God keep you from falling away? This is the thing. Is it some osmosis? No, he keeps you from falling away by studying that book, reading it every day, fellowshipping in the church, and applying it to your life. That's how he keeps you safe. That's the tangible evidence of God keeping you safe. But if you don't go in this, you're susceptible from the wiles of the devil, and you end up getting falling to him because he's stronger than we are. This is what keeps us strong in the faith. Close this and you're in trouble. That's a fact. You shut that book for a while. Don't come to church. And you see how fast your sin nature comes back. And now you start criticizing people. Slandering people. Looking at everybody else but your own faults. You know what this keeps us focused on? Our own hearts. That's what it does. Coming to Bible study. Focusing on what needs to change in me. So I can accept them. Amen? Now look at this. It's beautiful. All glory to Him who alone is God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are His before all time, in the, in the present, and beyond all time. Amen? Okay. Now, I'm going to explain a couple of things now we just read. We just read through the whole chapter. Now I'm going to expand on it a little bit on certain key issues now pay attention, okay? Jude's letter focuses on apostasy, okay? Apostasy is falling away from the church. When people turn away from God's truth and embrace false teaching, that's apostasy. When people turn away from God's truth and embrace false teachings, okay? Jude reminded his readers of God's judgment on those who had left the faith, Okay? This letter warns against false teachers, in this case, probably Gnostic teachers, okay? See, no, and, and for a description of Gnostic heresy, it's in Colossians, but we're not going to go there. Gnostics opposed two of the basic tenets in Christianity, the incarnation of Christ. Now, I don't want to make words sound too lofty. Incarnation, I'm going to explain what that means, okay? So you don't get tripped up with it, okay? Incarnation is a person who embodies in the flesh a deity, spirit, or abstract quality. The incarnation. In Christian theology, the embodiment of God the Son and human flesh as Jesus Christ. That's the incarnate Christ. 
That's what it means, okay? With reference to incarnation. Okay? You understand that now? I don't really get lofty with words because it's just Jesus, God in the body. That's what it means, okay? God in the flesh. The incarnation. But they use these terminologies just to make you think that you've got to be somebody special to teach it. Amen? You don't really have to. It's Jesus and God in the flesh. That's what it is. The incarnation. Isn't that easy to understand? Jesus, God in the flesh. That's what it is. Ooh, that was hot. <laughs> well, you know, the incarnation has to be, uh, you know, you're going to go to Bible college and learn about the incarnation. No. No, not really. Why would God have to make me go to college to understand him? He says he, he talks to the simple. Okay? It was the incarnation of Christ and the call to Christian ethics, okay? This is what they were refuting. Jude wrote to combat these false teachings and to encourage true doctrine and right conduct or right behaviors. Okay? One, Jude was a brother of James, who was one of the leaders in the early church. Both these men were Jesus' half-brothers. You have to understand that. Half-brothers. Why do I mean half-brothers? Mary was their mother, and Joseph was their father, although Mary was Jesus' true mother, but God was Jesus' true father. That's why they were half-brothers, okay? They weren't conceived, he wasn't conceived by Joseph, he was conceived by God. That's the difference, so he's only half, because Mary is the mother, amen? That wasn't too hard to understand either, right? Okay, see? Okay. So that's why he's a half-brother, okay? All right. We understand, right? Okay. Thank you. Jude emphasizes the important relationship between correct doctrine and true faith. Okay? The truth of the Bible must not be compromised because it gives us the real facts about Jesus and salvation. The Bible is inspired by God and should never be twisted or manipulated. When it is, we can become confused over right and wrong and lose sight of the only path that leads to eternal life. When you come here, we read the Bible, whatever, whatever, you will study on Colossians, we stay in Colossians and read right through it. We don't jump around so you can get confused. You read right through it, and that's how the Holy Spirit teaches us. There's no need to jump all over the place. When it's time to go in Ephesians, you read it. Every once in a while you might jump to a scripture, but you don't have to. Because it's all, it's a, you keep it in its context and you can really understand it, then you can't get tripped up. There's pastors that will trip this up and make it fit into their theology and they'll jump over different places and try to fit it in, but it could be in a different context. Comparing scripture with scripture is not always accurate. Because the scripture might mean something different in another context, in another verse, in another study. Okay. Before writing about salvation then, Jude felt he had to set his readers back on the right track, calling them back to the basics of their faith. Then the way to salvation would be clearer. His holy people refers to all believers. How do ordinary Christians defend the faith today? Okay. Think about these ideas. We can defend the faith by knowing the truth. Okay? We do that by studying the Bible. Hey! We do that by studying it. Listen. Reading it and studying it is two different things now. 
Right now, we are studying the Bible. When you read the daily walk, you are reading the Bible. You are not studying it. Right now, we're studying it and breaking down the meanings of it. There's a difference. Okay, get an amen? Okay. We're getting something today, right? We understand what we're talking about here? Okay. But don't ever imagine that pastors and seminary professors hold a monopoly on this task. Okay? Without study, you cannot know what to defend. You must understand the basic doctrines of the faith so that you can recognize false doctrines and prevent wrong teaching from un undermining your faith and hurting others. That's why it's your job to understand the Bible. So nobody trips you up. And what do, what's, what do I tell everybody to do? Read the Bible. So we don't get tripped up. Because when you're not here, you might be listening to a lot of stuff out there. And a lot of it is false teaching. A lot of it is. And it sounds real good because they put, they put a little bit of truth in with it. And they take it out of context. And say, oh, that sounded like what he talked about. But they put a twist on it. So you can be careful. We can defend the faith as we grow personally with Christ. My knowledge is important. Your personal relationship with Christ is essential. You hear what I said now? Knowledge is important. That has nothing to do with your personal relationship with Jesus. Nothing. First you've got to get the knowledge of how he works. And then you develop a relationship with him and how he's working in your life. Amen? Different. Through that relationship, God has given you the Holy Spirit as a teacher. Unattached to God, you may know everything, but understand nothing. Attached to Christ, you are given spiritual understanding as well as experience with Christ that underscore your faith. We can defend the faith by remaining unified on the essentials. While Christians can certainly disagree on many non-essentials, music and worship, methods of worship, methods of outreach, we must always defend the truth of the basics of our faith as found in God's Word. Many churches today do not base their church on the Word of God. The Word of God, very little hear any of it. It's all based on what? music and worship and outreach and all these other things and helping people instead of teaching us how to become like Jesus. First, you're going to get taught how to become like Jesus before you can become any use to him. So you don't misrepresent him. And that's what we do here. We learn about it. We grow. And then God uses us. He shows us our gifts when we are grown up enough to use them. And until you're not, then you won't get shown it. Even some of our churches today have false, ungodly teachers who have wormed their way in and are twisting the Bible teaching to justify their own opinions, lifestyle, or wrong behavior. There'll be people that go to churches that the, some pastors will say, it's okay to do this. Well, that's the church I'm going to because I like that sin. That's what they do. They follow places that agree with the, what the pastor's doing, and it's a sin. But they'll, do, they'll go there because, oh, the pastor does it, so do I. So can I. And they'll take that as truth. They'll put the pastor above God's word. 
know it as well as I do, I do not come above God's word. God's word is everything here, not me. I'm the only one, I'm just the one giving it to you. God's word is the power, not me. My job is to bring you to Jesus, not to me. In my faith, ain't nothing I can do for you. Trust me, ain't nothing. The only thing I can do for you is God's will. When I teach me your will, and I can teach the Bible only to glorify Him. And teach His people like He called me to do. And you know what He said to me? He says, don't worry, your reward's in heaven, John. You don't have to get nothing down here. As a matter of fact, the less you get down here, the more you get up there. He says, because when you want rewards down here, that's the only reward you'll ever get. When you go there, you get nothing. Because you got it down here. Okay. In doing this, look at, I'm going to say it again. Ungodly teachers who have wormed their way in and twisting the Bible's teachings to justify their own opinions, lifestyle, or wrong behavior. In doing this, they may gain temporary freedom to do as they wish, but they will discover that in distorting Scripture, they are playing with fire. God will judge them for exclusion, tolerating, and promoting sin. Don't worry, God will take care of it. Many first century's false teachers were teaching that Christians could do whatever they liked without fear of God's punishment or judgment. They had a light view of God's holiness and his justice. Paul refuted this same kind of false teaching in Romans 6, 1-23. Even today, some Christians minimize the sinfulness of sin. Okay? Believing that how they live has little to do with their faith. No, the way you live has everything to do with your faith because the way you live shows what your faith is. It says it in James, right? Faith without good deeds is dead. I will show you my faith by my good deeds. But what a person truly believes will show up in, in how he or she acts. Listen to me now. Say it again. What a person truly believes will show up in how he or she acts. So, what's it, what's it, what's it up to a Christian? To listen what's coming out of your mouth, to see how you're acting, to see what I'm truly believing in. Don't evaluate other people. Evaluate what's coming out of your mouth. And then it shows you what you truly believe. Because you live what you believe. Can I get an amen for that? Okay. I'm teaching you something here. This is important stuff. Now, those who truly have faith will show it by their deep respect for God and their sincere desire to live according to the principles in His Word. Jude gives three examples of rebellion. The nation of Israel, who although they were delivered from Egypt, refused to trust God and entered the promised land. Numbers 14, 26 to 39. Second principle, the angels, although they were once pure, holy, and living in God's presence, some gave in to pride and joined Satan to rebel against God. 2 Peter 2, 4. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, the inhabitants were so full of sin that God wiped them off the face of the earth. Genesis 19, 1 to 29. So don't tell me the Old Testament is not significant. It gives us a warning of how God works and how he judges sin. 
if the chosen people, angels, and sinful cities were punished, how much more would these false teachers be severely judged? Many people don't want to believe that God sentences people to eternal fire for rejecting Him, but this is clearly taught in Scripture. Sinners who don't seek forgiveness from God will face eternal separation from Him. Jude warns all who rebel against, ignore, or reject God, the supernatural beings here are probably evil angels. Just as the men of Sodom insulted angels. Remember when they were in Sodom? They were in Lot's house? He said, get out of the way. We want to have sex with them. They were men, by the way. They wanted to have sex with men. They were angels. And Lot said, no, don't do such an evil thing. They said, get out of the way. It will do worse to you. That's how bad it was. Every thought in Sodom was sinful. That's why he had to wipe it out. Just as the men of Sodom insulted angels in Genesis 19, these false teachers scoffed at any authority for information on the danger of insulting even the fallen angels. See the note on Peter 2, 10 and 12. You can go back and read that. This incident is not recorded in any other place in Scripture. Moses' death is recorded in Deuteronomy 34, okay? Here Jude may have been making use of an ancient book called The Assumption of Moses, Okay. False teachers claim to possess secret knowledge that gave them authority. Their knowledge of God was esoteric, mystical, and beyond human understanding. The nature of God is beyond our understanding, but God in His grace has chosen to reveal Himself to us. Amen? It's not something we can't reach. He revealed it to us. In his word and supremely in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we must seek to know all we can about what he, he has revealed, even though we cannot fully comprehend God with our finite human minds. Say we can't totally grasp it. So the rest is by faith, right? He, he reveals what he does, and then the rest is by faith walk. We don't totally understand it. But I believe it. Every word in that Bible, I believe. I do with all my heart, or else I wouldn't teach it if I didn't believe it. Beware of those who claim to have all the answers and who belittle what they do not understand. Okay? Jude gives three examples of men who did whatever they wanted. One, Cain, who murdered his brother out of vengeful jealousy. Genesis 4, 1-16. Balaam, who prophesied out of greed not out of obedience to God's command in Numbers 22-24, and Korah, who rebelled against God's divinely appointed leaders, wanting the power for himself. Numbers 16, 1-35. Now, if you never read the Old Testament, you'd be like, what is he talking about? But you just don't understand because you read it, right? These stories illustrate attitudes that are typical of false teachers. Pride, selfishness, jealousy, greed, lust for power, and disregard of God's will. I'm not done here. When the Lord's Supper was celebrated in the early church, believers would eat a full meal before taking part in communion with the sharing of the bread and wine. The meal was called a fellowship meal, okay? And it was designed to be a sacred time 
of fellowship to prepare one's heart for communion. In several of the churches, however, this meal had turned into a time of gluttony and drunken revelry. They were being pigs in church and getting drunk. Remember in Corinthians, we're reading it. <laughs> some, listen, in Corinth, for example, some people hastily gobbled food while others went hungry. They were so selfish. They ate everything before everybody got there. So nobody had anything to eat. The people didn't have anything. You mean they did that in church? Yes. People still do it now. Got to be first. Got to have it first. Got to have the front row. Got to do this. Got to have all for me. I got to come first in church. When Jesus said, if you want to serve me, you got to come last. Total opposite. No church function should be an occasion for selfishness, gluttony, greed, disorder, or other sins that destroy unity or take one's mind away from the real purpose of gathering together. The false teachers were doubly dead. They were useless trees because they weren't producing fruit. They weren't even believers. So they would be rooted up, uprooted, and burned. Okay? That's all I'm going to get into. That's enough. We're out of time. But this is good information because you, know, you read it and say, I don't really understand it, but I'm trying to make you understand what he was talking about here. And he goes back and he quotes the Old Testament scriptures to show you the examples of what happens to believers who fall into sin. And this church is to say, God's grace, don't worry about it, it covers it. It covers the sin, not the consequence. Get it? You can do all the sin you want in this life, but the consequences will remain with you and it'll be even harder on you because you know the truth and choose to go sin anyway. So he's even harder on believers. Amen? I hope that was helpful for you tonight and you understood it. Thank you for letting me share that. We're going to close now, okay? And we'll start a new, a new study next week. Okay? So thank you. Brittany, Jasmine, and Deb are going to come up and sing.
Good. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great night, everybody. Until we meet again, God bless.